it's only a kick, a jump, a block, it's only a serve, it's only a tackle, a run, it's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to The Price of Football, the show that looks at the money behind the beautiful game and says, well done England, or sack Gareth Southgate, it's a disgrace. I'm Kevin Day and here's Liverpool University's Kieran Maguire and uh, full disclosure here, Kieran, the reason we are hedging our bets on England is that we are recording this on Friday because, as my dear departed mum used to say, the Baroness has put her foot down with a heavy hand. (laughs) She certainly has. Uh, yes, uh, as I've worked seven days a week for, uh, I've, I've lost track how long, uh, we had yeah, one of those conversations, which was <laughs> sort of, you got the look and the tone, and uh, I thought, right, uh, I'd uh, better, I've, I've got a lot of making up to do. Yeah, that's that, that's fine, perfectly understandable, as long as the Baroness realises that if the England game uh, ends with Gareth Southgate setting fire to a pile of cash, and running around a pitch shouting amortisation is fake news. Then, <laughs> this pod is in a ton of trouble, Kieran. <laughs> um, it's it's questions day, uh, but we we start with some some news. One just one news story, and and can you guess, girls and boys, which club it's about? Can you? Can you all have a guess? Shall we all shout it together? One, two, three. Uh, but Kieran, it's it's actually I think for the first time in some months, good news for the fans of Derby County. Yes, the EFL has decided not to appeal the uh, the recent judgment, uh, which was to give Derby a one hundred thousand pound fine and submit their accounts. Um, th- there was a danger that the uh, EFL could have tried to force through some form of judgment, which would have resulted in uh, a points deduction being uh, assigned effectively retrospectively for twenty one. Uh, for, for season 2021 um and that that would have caused uh, huge problems it, it was it was never really practical um so derby do have to resubmit their calculations uh, according to the uh, EFL um I, I think it would be good if both of those parties who who have been firing shots at each other uh through uh, through websites, um, just said ultimately, uh, is, isn't don't, don't we don't we love football because of football and not because of amortisation? Um, so uh, you know, perhaps it will give both both sides of the debate a bit of breathing space. Um, so the EFL have said on their website that now that the written uh, explanations from the committee have been published, they have taken them on on board. They're not going to appeal. Uh, I think it's noticeable that that Derby are just 
keeping their powder dry, just just getting on with it now, which again, you know, no triumphalism. Um, it, it's the way to go forward, uh, and let's hope that uh, you know, they can they can resolve their, their differences. It's what worries me, Kieran, and of course I fully understand why the Baroness is doing this, but I'm worried that Derby fans listening to this on Monday will go, "Good news! It's good news!" and then they'll go, "That's three days ago." That's whole. That's they'll be expecting new good news, and it will just be there won't be any Derby fans who suddenly go, who are getting that news broken to them on a pod. That's all. Just, just, just find just bide your time to mention that to her, Kira. Maybe, <laughs> well, maybe, maybe three espresso martinis in. Just hand yes. the phone. Just hand the phone over. <laughs> uh, I'll yes, pass her over to you. Yes, if you could. That's that's the plan. And that that sound you could hear in the background was me sneezing because we're recording in the evening, just as the pollen falls gently to the ground via my hay fever. Uh, <laughs> questions, Kieran. Our first question, but that's fine. The Baroness isn't to know that I'm better in the morning. I say mornings, eleven o'clock ish is is roughly, which is lunchtime for you, isn't it? Basically. The <laughs> um, first question comes from Nick Pooley. And Nick says, in club accounts, when reviewing the sums paid in wages, does this include all fees paid to players, including bonuses such as appearance fees, goals, bonuses, etc., or are those accounted for separately? Uh, well, Nick is absolutely right. Uh, as far as the financial statements published by the accounts are concerned, there is a single figure for wages um, and that includes not just playing staff, but non-playing staff as well. So therefore, it includes all bonuses. Um, so therefore, when people say, well, you know, is it, uh, is, is it due to the fact that the, uh, the clubs who are paying big wages seem to win all the time? Um, there's a certain circularity to that argument because by winning all the time, they end up paying bigger bonuses. So therefore, they end up with a bigger wage bill. So, you know, it, it's, it's a classic chicken and egg situation. But clearly, some clubs have bigger uh, bigger budgets than others. The only the only numbers which are extracted for sort of individual uh, review are those of the board of directors. So the highest paid director, uh, his or her pay will appear uh, explicitly as far as the the finances are concerned. But those for for individual players, including bonuses, are not shown. Okay, David Holliday has our next question. And David Holliday says, there's been talk at Leeds recently, um, and we have such a backlog of questions, Kieran. I was slightly worried this might be about Billy Bremner, this question. Um, (laughs) But it turns out, no, there's been talk at Leeds recently that Pablo Hernandez will leave in the summer, probably, uh, most likely, to CD Castellón in Spain, which is his hometown. However, Hernandez is also an owner of that club, so will any transfer have to be negotiated between Pablo and Pablo while we wait to hear whether Mr. Hernandez has agreed terms with Mr. Hernandez? And what's to stop players buying into clubs and then moving to them cut price to help them out? Right. If we answer the second question first, yeah. um, players and agents are not allowed to have ownership rights in relation to football clubs. Um, and that brings us on to our very good friends at Swindon Town, because there was um, accusations of some form of closet ownership by Gareth Barry of Swindon Town, but that could not be put in writing because that would have been in breach of FA regulations. So so there are are rules to stop uh, this taking place. And and, and those those rules are, are rightly there because otherwise... You, you could have conflicts of interest uh, taking place. Um, 
In respect of Pam Pablo Hernandez um, and his relationship with Castellon, um, his his family run a sports shop in the town. He, he does seem you know completely embedded uh, into the town himself, and and the reason why he uh, he invested money in was um, uh, in terms of the uh, in, in terms of the the previous owners. I'm I'm, I'm not. I'm not saying that they are wrong-uns, but I did some investigation, and one of them was called Sergio Dale. Um, so, uh, and uh, for further ferreting around in the uh, in, in the small print, uh, it, it turned out that uh, they 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 seemed to be invoicing the club for some of their services where they didn't appear to do anything, and in respect of transfers. Um, the the amount of money being paid, let's, let's say they sold a player for for five million pounds. Well, you know, five million euro. Perhaps only three million of that would ever end up in the books of the club. So, uh, yeah, th- there have been historic issues to do with the the ownership and governance of the club. And uh, the, the Hernandez family, stalwarts of the town that they are, came to the rescue along with others. Um, so uh, he he's he's not. He's not a majority owner as such, so he would not therefore be responsible for negotiating uh, his uh, his remuneration or anything. And, and I think what they would try to do was to be to ring fence uh, his relationship, if that's a playing relationship, in terms of any form of ownership. But we we do see quite a lot of football clubs moving into the realm of. Um, Ownership, uh, you know, clearly we've got David Beckham is has got into Miami. Uh, yeah. I, th- I think the uh, I think Ronaldinho or Ronaldo owns owns a football club because uh, and Didier Drogba is is getting involved. We've just seen Peter Crouch taking on a director's role at Dulwich Hamlet. You know, many footballers are still so in love with the game that they want a slightly greater relationship with with individual clubs. Mm. So, Castellon legend Pablo Hernandez owns a sports shop in the town. And Swindon legend Don Rogers owns a sports shop in Swindon. There's wheels within wheels. Indeed. Yeah. That's the sort of thing Swiss Ramble wouldn't notice. <laughs> He's got less time on his hands, to be perfectly honest, Kieran. That's why. Um, our next question comes from Tim Perkins. Uh, and Tim Perkins says, My daughter, in brackets, who has no interest in football, close brackets, asked me if ITV sponsored any football teams. I said no, but it made me think, as an advertiser themselves, could ITV sponsor a club's shirt and then resell the shirt front every week to a different show, so Love Island, Britain's Got Talent, Coronation Street, etc. Would the club entertain Twitching Designs regularly, and how would kit manufacturers feel? Tim is clearly uh, a better father than I am, because if my daughter had asked that question, I'd have said, what's it got to do with you? You don't like football. Uh, and simply refused to answer it. Um, uh, but no, Tim is much nicer. He said to his daughter, "Well, I don't know, but I'll I'll, I'll know somebody who will. I'll, I'll email Price of Football." Um, yes, <laughs> so, it's, it's an interesting question though, because also well, I'd like your comment on this as well, Kieran, because it must be quite annoying for BBC and ITV executives that every time they interview an England player or manager during the tournament, there's a huge BT logo stuck on the front of the uh, player or manager shirt. <laughs> Yes, yeah, but, but uh, I, I guess that's uh, that, that's just showbiz these days, uh, and the and BT have have paid a very large sum of money to the Football Association for that privilege. So oh. I'm sure they feel that they're especially with the well, hopefully, uh, you yeah, know, England going forwards to the semi-finals, um, 
when when this is listened to, uh, you know, they're, they're getting plenty of uh, plenty of exposure. Um, but in in terms of Tim's question, um, manufacturers would hate this because you'd have yeah. to do lots of production runs. So yeah, that that wouldn't be too great from their point of view. They they, they, they it's not a huge issue in the sense yeah we we've seen uh, in respect of the matches at the European Championships that individual shirts actually say this match is for England versus Scotland or yes, or you know, yes, Belgium it, versus Portugal so yeah, yeah. a little yeah you know, a, a little bit of a little bit of sewing uh, won't go remiss um, but the manufacturers would not be keen on this because they are looking to sell the shirts to fans yeah so if you were going to have potentially 15 or 16 different sponsors in in a season um which sponsor would you choose for the the merchandise which was sold to the fans and also you know people when when they buy a football shirt they they like to feel that they've got something which is you know sort of quasi real um and if you if you are wearing uh, you know 3 weeks ago sponsor um then then it, it might put you off you know, part of the reason why people do buy football kits every season is that there are you know relatively small changes yet yeah, we know that palace are going to play in in red and blue we know that manchester united are going to play in red we know that spurs are going to play in white and blue shorts um and quite often the sponsor's name will roll over from season to season but there'll be very subtle changes and you feel that you have to go and buy it well if if this was to happen on a on a home match by home match basis then um i think the the, uh, the the fans would get pretty fed up. I mean, there will, of course, blokes being blokes, there will be some completists who will buy every single one, but I suspect there'll be relatively few and far between. Looking at the rules, I think that um, you are allowed um, one, you are allowed to change sponsor during the season, but it's a bit like uh, players. You, you shouldn't really be, uh, for what I can make out, you can't change that those on a regular basis. You're also allowed, even if you have an ongoing sponsorship deal, you are allowed to effectively gift one match a season to a charity. So yeah. Yeah, we've quite often seen this, and, and that's a fantastic gesture by the clubs. Um, but also looking at the rules, and I, and I did do, again, a bit of uh, a bit of ferreting around here, Um that there's nothing to stop you having different sponsors for different competitions. So you could have oh. one sponsor for the FA Cup, one sponsor for the Carabao Cup, one sponsor for the uh, is it the Papa, John, Papa John's, yeah. and so on. But of course, yeah, that might just be for one match. Uh, yeah, you know, depending on how far you get in the competition. And we do see um, different rules from UEFA to uh, the, the the Premier League and the EFL, well, the Premier League itself, in terms of what is acceptable and unacceptable. So um, until um, until uh, the 1st of July, uh, 2021, for example, you weren't allowed to have uh, shirt sleeve sponsors mm. uh, in, in respect. So, yeah, the, the, rules, the rules and the small print in football uh, do change because uh, I, I was looking at the uh, the latest. I think the latest updates from the EFL itself. You know, what, one of the one of the big loopholes that clubs have had historically, uh, or for the last four or five years, is the ability to sell their sell their stadiums and keep the profits in in FFP calculations. And as of the first of July, twenty twenty one, that is now outlawed. So you know, hats off to the EFL for for pushing that one through. 
Yeah, I have to say, shirt sleeve sponsorship is the thin end of the wedge, as far as I'm concerned. Give it another couple of seasons, we'll be looking at French teams. I don't want that to happen. Every single bit of the kit's going to be covered in some garish colour with a sponsor. My my problem with uh, Tim Perkins and his daughter's suggestion here that it's bad enough seeing a 20-stone Palace fan squeezed into a medium-sized shirt with Terry 65 on the back as it is without having Love Island blazing across the front as well. Because that, that's the one bloke, as you say, blokes being blokes, that's the one they'd go for. They'd have Love Island. They'd go, oh, that could be me. Just drop a couple of stones. Um, well, it's better than loose women. Uh, you wouldn't <laughs> want that across the front of your shirt, would you? Uh, there's at least two of them I definitely wouldn't want. Oh, I see what you're saying, yes. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's a loud corridor, the Loose Women Corridor. My God, the production corridor for Loose Women. The uh, Have I Got News For You Corridor used to be next to the uh, production corridor for Loose Women. Uh, ours was more sedate, let's put it that way. Um, <laughs> <laughs> our next question comes from Kieran Williams. Uh, Kieran says, bit of a mad one here that's come about from a partially intoxicated Saturday evening footy watch. Is there any other sort? <laughs> yes, fully intoxicated. Um, but Kieran says, is it possible for a team to loan a player and then subsequently loan that same player out themselves? And what if the parent club recalled that player from the initial club, if you paid attention, but the subsequent loan doesn't have a recall option? Many thanks appeasing my strange hypotheticals. You're welcome, Kieran Williams, but remember, drink responsibly, although not quite as responsibly as Kieran Maguire. <laughs> Kieran takes, takes it too far. Well, I'm not drinking at all. It's, a, it's, it's an interesting one. It's one I've never thought of. Is, is it possible to loan a player and then loan that player out? Um, no, the, the registration of the player always belongs to the host club, and, and therefore they can dictate... Uh, what happens with right. regards to that registration. So they would be in a position to um, approve or deny any subsequent actions. There's nothing to stop a player from returning to the parent club and then being loaned out again in the yeah, same season. Yeah. But remember, you are restricted to only playing for two clubs within a season. So if if you, you, you couldn't... I think it would be very difficult to to have a, a sublet of a sublet, as it were. <laughs> yeah. um, so you, you, the, the football authorities would be very uncomfortable about that because you know, the reason why we actually have transfer windows, if, if we go back historically, was, was there was a genuine fear that you could get to you know, three or four weeks from the end of the season and you've got a club in mid-table who's got two superb players and then you could hire those out for either somebody who was seeking to get, yep. uh, you know, uh, to get a trophy or to avoid relegation. So, so that's why uh, we, there are quite actually these days uh, very significant restrictions. And also, just just going back to Tim Perkins' questions um, in relation to uh, kits and sponsors. Um, if he is, uh, if if he really wants to entertain his daughter, um, I have a copy of the UEFA rules in relation to what you can and cannot do in in terms of the contents of a kit, in terms of you know how big the sponsor logos and so on, and it goes on for sixty five pages. Wow, really? Yes, goodness, that, that's um, an evening and a half. 
Uh, I think we've already established, Kieran, that Tim Perkins' daughter has uh, no interest in football, so I, I can't imagine <laughs> the circumstances by which her introduction to the game would come by the 65-page UEFA rule on sponsorship sizes. But you never know. We'll, we'll, let's, let, why don't we send it? Tim, get in touch with an email address, and we will email you the 65-page UEFA <laughs> rules. And let us know how that goes. Yes. <laughs> um, our next question comes from Jack Munton. And, Jack, I, I hope you're listening because I want to congratulate you because I suspect this may well be one of Kira's favourite questions, certainly of the year so far. This is a proper accountant's question. And, and also, <laughs> I don't know why, Jack, but somehow I just get the feeling the way this question bristled on the page even, I think Jack is probably unhappy with spurious, lightweight questions. He doesn't like the sort of things. Sort of, he probably doesn't like the sort of alleyways we get down. I imagine like last week when we were talking about Smith's <laughs> lyrics, Jack's going, come on, it's meant to be about accounting, this, this pod. What, what are you doing? Um, but Jack says the new IR35 legislation came into effect in April for contractors engaging with businesses using their own limited companies. Is this likely to affect many professional footballers? Right. Um, for people not familiar with the rules, the uh, the IR35 rules were introduced to tie, try to prevent employers classifying people as employees. Uh, and this had uh, implications in terms of tax rates, national insurance, holiday pay and so on. Uh, and there have been a number of test cases uh, in relation to this, and, and we move on now from uh, Loose Women to Lorraine Kelly, who very successfully yes. defended the HMRC's claim that she was an employee of uh, of ITV because uh, I think, didn't she say that she was playing the part of yes. a person called Lorraine right. Kelly She's rather than being Lorraine Kelly herself, which... Yeah. Um, which is uh, which is intriguing. Um, the rules are constantly being tweaked by uh, HMRC, and in relation to players, um, they do have contracts of employment uh, with their club. So, in terms of their main forms of income, uh, I don't think there's going to be any change there because they, they, they have the employer and employee uh, relationship. But in terms of their image rights, um, I, I think this is this is more intriguing. But um, the, the thing is with image rights is that quite often the players will have things such as uh, boot contracts. So, you know, would would uh, Marcus Rashford or Raheem Sterling? You know, are they would they therefore become employees of the likes of Puma and Nike and New Balance and so on? Um, that that will be one for their their legal team to pursue. But I I, I think they will be able to say, well, hold on, I've, I've actually got a contract of employment with somebody else. Um, in terms of the clubs um, potentially paying you know, up to twenty percent of the the agreed remuneration to uh, an image rights company, um, and and that is located overseas or that's located uh, in, in a way which is more tax efficient, um, it could be that the um, that HMRC might start to come after the football industry with. Uh, with, uh, with with banners uh, aloft and, and trying to uh, trying to force this through because I, I certainly yeah when I speak to the revenue they say yep yeah, we're not happy about it we, we've got an agreement but we don't think we can go any further so um, you know this 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 one will run and run uh, at present I think the players are in a strong position because they they tend to be represented by people who. Uh, know know the small print extremely well. Um, mm. So um, at present, okay, 
future. We'll have to wait and see. This episode of The Price of Football is brought to you by the AI-powered workspace Notion. What if you had access to tomorrow's tools today? In Notion, you do. It's the AI-powered workspace where any team can turn ideas into action. My career is sort of a bit like being a butterfly, and I'm always jumping from project to project. So therefore, Notion helps me from summarising meetings notes and automatically generating action items to getting answers to any question in seconds. If you can think it, you can make it. And Notion is for everyone, whether you're a Fortune 500 company or a freelance football finance lecturer. You can try Notion for free when you go to notion.com slash price of football. That's all lowercase letters, notion.com slash price of football and start turning ideas into action. That's notion.com slash price of football. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. So is, is this related to, Kieran, or the flip side of the argument that Uber drivers, for example, want to be employees? Is it a similar issue? Yes, yes. Uh, I mean, the the reason why you might want to be classified as self-employed and put your money through a company is that uh, you know I've I've seen people put their their children in as directors of the company and take money out as dividends and yeah. use their kids' uh, you know tax-free allowance. So so there's lots of efficiencies to be used. Now, if you're an Uber driver. Um, you know, the chances are that you are not in that level of income where you're necessarily, you know, if you're an Uber driver who's who's earning uh, enough money to be paying tax at 45%, I, I, I wouldn't want to get in your car because you're probably <laughs> driving 26 hours a day. Um, but, uh, but yeah, from the Uber driver's perspective, you know, they want some form of uh, protection, you know, and, and there are protections as employees that you get. Uh, equally, uh, if you are a contractor and, you, and you're flitting from company to company, you, you normally see yourself as a uh, uh, as self-employed. The, the rules were introduced because they were being abused, you know, way back in the past. Has has the uh, has the dial moved too far in in favour of the revenue? Uh, you know, I I teach at. Uh, other universities, and I say, well, yeah, I'm, I'm not an employee of you, but they say, well, as far as we're concerned, you are, and, and you know, and, and they deduct tax at source, and right. you know, that, that, that's fine as far as I'm concerned. But uh, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd rather keep, keep my affairs in, in, in just one particular box. Oh, those were the days when my tax was deducted at source. So much easier than Kieran, isn't it? 
You don't have to think about yes. putting it away somewhere and separating tax and VAT. Oh, it's not my fault, Kieran. It's the world. It's against me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's the system, man. It's not me. The, um, the world won't listen. And we're back to we're back to Smith's <laughs> references, of course. <laughs> Jack Munson's going to be tutting away. Jack Munson, we had a brilliant five minutes of proper accountancy there, straight back into the leading Smiths. Phil Shortland has an interesting question. Uh, Phil Shortland's question goes thus. Bolton Wanderers are obliged to pay their unsecured creditors around £3.5 million in July as a result of the deal the current owners made with the administrator, 35 pence in the pound, says Phil. The penalty for non-payment would be a 15-point deduction and potentially, of course, liquidation. At a recent Supporters' Trust meeting, the CEO said the club were on course to meet the obligation using an, and I quote, asset purchase agreement, but didn't explain what that was, and no one seems to know either. Can you explain what an asset purchase agreement is? Right. Uh, an asset purchase agreement is simply um, effectively a contract between two parties which sets out the terms for a buyer and a seller. Um, and it it will agree a price. It will say this is exactly what you're getting for the money involved. It will set out whether there's any warranties involved. So from, from reading Phil's uh, question, the, I'm reading it that whilst there is an asset purchase agreement, that Bolton Wanderers are potentially on the selling side of this, and therefore they have an agreement with somebody to buy some assets from them, right. and they will use the proceeds of right. that, the sale of that asset to uh, meet their obligations to the uh, unsecured creditors to ensure that there isn't a, a further points deduction. So, so that's my understanding. Uh, you know, I've, I've been going on to various law websites and uh, uh, bits and pieces, and that's what it, it certainly sort of the, the general term asset purchase agreement is, you know, we are going to agree to sell you X for you know, Y pounds, and this is exactly what you're getting. And if something's wrong with the asset, these are the consequences. Right, but this is not something that your spidey senses are tingling over. There's no indication that Bolton are, are unable to to meet their obligations. No, no. I mean, Bolton Bolton's accounts came out a few days ago. I mean, they 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 had a tough year under the new ownership, um, but you know the new ownership do seem to be uh, committed. Uh, the new ownership have got nothing to do with Ken Anderson, and, and don't get me started with that. He, he makes Steve Dale look like a vicar. Yeah. Um, so um, I, I think they they've got the right people with the right intentions, but it doesn't mean that it's an easy ride. Uh, you know, c- coming out, people think that administration coming out of it uh, because you've. Uh, you, you come out of it effectively with a clean slate in terms of your creditors, apart from you know, under the football rules, which I think are great. It, it does stop spurious administrations. Yeah. Um, you've, you've still got a lot of work to do because if you take over a football club, it's, it's already losing money. Yeah. Ian Hutchins, uh, I presume, is a West Brom fan because Ian says over the last couple of seasons, West Brom have had quite a few players pick up serious injuries whilst out on loan. And Ian said, I was wondering, do the club who borrowed the player continue to be responsible for the player's wages and paying for treatment, even if the player returns to the parent club for treatment before going back to complete the loan? And of course, uh, if only Palace had loaned Nathan Ferguson rather than bought somebody who was injured when we bought him and is still injured 
15 months later, which uh, is fairly typical Palace. But it's an interesting question, is it? I know it's one we've sort of talked about before, but that that angle of what happens if a player goes back to the parent club for treatment and then goes back to the loan club is an interesting twist. Yeah, I, I think in terms of wages, the, the loan club is obliged to pick them up regardless of where the treatment uh, is taking right. place. It, it could be that if you are the parent club, especially if you are, say, a Premier League club and you've loaned a player out to League One or League Two, you might feel that your physio facilities are in the best interest of the player and yeah, therefore the cool. parent club in the long term. So, so therefore, you, you're quite happy to pick up the tab in terms of uh, medical treatment, but uh, the, the other club would still be obliged to pay the wages because they, they've signed a contract to that effect. Uh, and you know, it, it's part of sporting risk and sporting chance when the player uh, gets, on, gets on the field of play that he may got injured. Um, and therefore, the, the, person, the team for whom he's playing for at the time is obliged to, to carry on paying him. But remember, you're not necessarily paying him 100% of his wages to begin with. Yes. Our next question comes from Tony Bruno Bouchard. uh, And Tony says, I'm a fan of the pod from Montreal in Canada. Hello, Montreal in Canada. Recently, there were rumours that Bournemouth were interested in signing our manager Thierry Henry. And it got me wondering how transfer fees for managers work. I know that player contracts are considered assets and are amortised, thanks to your show. You're welcome. But what about managers? Is it the same and what is fair transfer value? Well, uh, before we start, Kieran, I have a question for you, Tony. And that is, is Le Foufou Electrique still open in Montreal? Because I had a very happy few days there one night. Uh, <laughs> it was on my mate's honeymoon, as it happened. It was, <laughs> for, he, t- he took his two best mates with one honeymoon to Montreal. Uh, it's a long what story. What did say? Uh, she was, I don't think she was over, let, let's, let's just leave it at not over the moon, shall we? <laughs> Let's, let's let's say not 100% delighted with the arrangements, but his argument was that we had travelled a long way for the wedding and it seemed a bit unfair for us not to carry on. Uh, she didn't quite see that, but the Fufu and Electric, is, uh, I've got some very happy memories of that. So if Tony has, uh, can, can reassure me it's still open, I'd be, I'd be delighted to hear that. And in the meantime, Kieran, if you could answer his question about what's happening in the background, Kieran, is doors opening, is somebody... Uh, so, so my, a, a four-legged friend was trying to uh, escape into the room. Ah, uh, escape into the room. That's a, yes. That's a new one. <laughs> <laughs> is he wondering why? This will give away when we're recording. Is he's probably wondering why you're not watching extra time between Spain and <laughs> exactly. Yes. Is, he, is he trying to communicate like Lassie? He's trying to tell you what the score is. <laughs> Finley, yes. Daddy's got his phone on. It's fine. He doesn't need you to tell him. Uh, anyway, the question. Uh, the, Transfer fees and what constitutes a fair transfer value for a manager? That's an interesting question. Well, um, there will be written into the manager's contract. There will be a compensation fee uh, because you you do not own the manager's registration. When you're signing a player, you're actually signing his registration certificate, which means that he can play um, for the the club that's signing him and that club only. Uh, there is no, there are no such rules in respect of managers. But um, if a manager has a contract which has you know, X months, X years remaining, um, then there the, the 
a, a club potentially acquiring him would have to pay up the remainder of the contract, uh, usually as compensation. So when Marco Silva went to Everton from uh, Watford, for example, and, and Watford's accounts have come out in the last 48 hours. It's, it's, been, a, it's been a busy time because it's the, thir- it's, uh, the 30th of June just passed. Um, uh, Watford have said in their accounts that we received four and a half million pounds in compensation. Um, that, that, that is not amortised. That is simply put through as a cost. If you take a look at Chelsea's accounts since uh, Roman Abramovich arrived, uh, the, the amount of uh, individual costs in what they simply call um, you know, management compensation, and that's the, co- that's the costs, A, of sacking managers, which clearly Roman's quite, a, quite keen on, but also um, recruiting managers, you know, like Viz- Villas Bollas. Villas Bollas, whatever his name is. Um, he, uh, he he cost them an absolute fortune to recruit from his existing club, and then he was sacked within a few months. So uh, I, I believe Chelsea's uh, total uh, management compensation fees in the Abramovich uh, regime are, are around about eighty million pounds. Which uh, even for a man as wealthy as him is yeah, that's that's going to make a, at least a small dent. Uh, in his finances. Mm. Um, how is the fair transfer value determined? It's normally linked to the remaining length of contract. Uh-huh. Um, there could be specific clauses in the contract which says if the club is approached um, to release the manager from the contract, uh, there will be X amount of compensation being paid. Uh, I, I know that there were rumours that uh, uh, Graham Potter uh, might be going to Spurs, uh, and he had he still got four and a half years remaining on a contract. So I think the compensation was somewhere in the region of fifteen to twenty million pounds, and and that's why they went elsewhere uh, for a manager. Uh, please don't throw references to manager recruitment around willy nilly like that, Kieran. <laughs> it's, a, it's a slightly sore point for us Palace fans at the moment, unless of course by Monday morning when this is going out, yeah, Jose Mourinho has changed his mind and signed for Palace. Uh, just I, saying, I, I thought it was Patrick Vieira's. Blue and Red Army. Ah, yeah, just uh, yeah. Possibly with Brian Kidd coming to join him for Manchester City as well. Do you know what? I'm I'm reaching the age where the only thing that really worries me about a new manager is whether his name will scan with Red and Blue Army. (laughs) You really don't want a manager whose name you can't cram into Red and Blue Army. This this idea, Kieran, that you're not signing a manager's registration. I, I know it's unlikely then, but could you know Sean Dice say? By the way, in my days off, I'm going to keep managing the local Sunday team as a favour because, like, yeah, remember in the old days, the 70s and 80s, yeah, a player nearly, you know, one player per team would manage the Sunday teams. Is there anything to stop a manager doing that then? Not, not at all, not at all. Really, it's the the, the contract of employment will be very specific uh, in terms of the obligations of the manager, but you know, uh, managing a local Sunday team, it's you know, it's the equivalent if he wants to go out. You know, crocheting or you know, helicoptering, whatever. You know, what what you do in your own time is your own business as an employee. Yeah, that's very much says something about the county in which you live, Kieran. That your two parameters were crochet and helicopters. There, <laughs> uh, that's very much a Sussex choice. There, is it? Should we? I don't know, darling. What do you reckon? Crochet or the crochet helicopter? Well, the vineyard's shut for the afternoon, so I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Jacob Davis has our penultimate question. Uh, and Jacob, this is an interesting question, actually, a very interesting comparison. How much do Sky Sports pay to show the Northern Irish Premiership, and how does that compare to the amount BT pays to show non-league games in England? Right, trying to get the numbers here are proving to be a difficult stroke impossible, but oh, wow. um, 
I know that there was a proposal to have an all-Ireland league where they felt that they would be able to get a million pounds a year for the TV rights. So to put that in context, the EFL deal is worth £119 million a year, and the the Premier League deal is worth around about £3,000 million a year. Um, Sorry, £3 billion a year. Uh, So... I think we would be talking tens of thousands. Uh, you know, if, if they get a hundred thousand, uh, then, then they're probably doing well. And, and it's the same with uh, BT and and non-league. Uh, it, it simply doesn't generate sufficient viewing figures to to warrant paying large fees. So if, if we take a look at clubs in uh, in league 2 um the EFL TV deal works out as around about 250 300 grand per club um and, and then they get solidarity payments from the premier league as well uh, when you drop out of that into non league i think i think that you know, the clubs there are uh, if if they they if they get 10 grand a year from tv they'd be doing extremely well why is it difficult to get the numbers on the Northern Irish deal, Kieran? Is this not a matter of public record? No, no, it's a private contract between the two parties, and, oh, and simply that there's there's not enough interest in it from a from a publicity perspective. Oh, oh okay. You know, um, you know if, if you look at Sky Sports, it is a very broad church in terms of sports, and and whilst we get we tend to know how much they've agreed to pay for for rugby or cricket. Or uh, or football, um, you know that's uh, for for the for the more uh, niche sports. Um, you know the, the numbers involved. They're actually they practically give the give the rights away for nothing because at least they're getting a bit of publicity for their sponsors. Yeah. I, I remember in the early days of Sky um, that I, you, know, you maybe used to go and get sort of the used to get that monthly magazine, and uh, I thought, oh, there's this show here in Sky called. Water Sports World, and I got very excited about that, and, and it turned out to be about powerboat racing, and I was I was absolutely gutted. I thought it might have been a you know, a German import or something like that. <laughs> well, to be fair, Kieran, you were only seven at the time; you couldn't reach the top shelf at that stage. <laughs> uh, our final question comes from Kev Heller, and Kev says that my club, his club, St Johnston, are widely regarded as one of, if not the best run club in Scotland. Is this still the case? And how long can we carry on punching above our weight with COVID-19 and a relatively small support base? Well, uh, I mean, Kev is absolutely right. In, in, I've, got, uh, I've got St. Johnson's accounts in front of me. They've done all the right things. They've got a strong balance sheet. They've got you know well over two million pounds in the bank at the end of the uh, that was the end of the 2019-20 season. So clearly, COVID had started to impact upon uh, Scottish football. But uh, you know, if you've got cash in the bank, that that acts as a really good buffer. Yeah. So they they've been superbly run. You know, they've they I think they lost. 20 grand that year but overall they 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 make profits more years than they they lose um and and they went all out in uh in in 2020 by spending 25,000 pounds on players which was the first time they've actually bought players for uh, heaven only knows so so to to achieve what they have achieved 
without spending money in terms of recruitment in in respect of player transfers is uh, an incredible achievement and it shows what can be done and and I do think that Scottish football could perhaps uh, teach English football a thing or two because as you know I I look at all of the clubs in both England and Scotland and Wales of course um, but Scottish clubs they just say this is our budget this is what we're going to stick to Um, and they don't get breakaway owners who who start an arms race in terms of wages which are not sustainable. I, I, I suppose you could argue, though, that there's less, uh, not less at stake, that's not the right word, but you know, in Scottish football, only two clubs at the moment will ever win the Premier League. And the, the, the benefits of being in the Premier League are not probably quite as strong as they would be in English football, are they? So there's no need to break the bank or break your club to get out of the Scottish Championship in the way that English Championship clubs are so desperate to do. Would that be a fair... Yeah, that, that's absolutely right. The difference between the bottom of the Scottish Premiership and the top of the Championship is is half a million pounds in TV money compared to £90 million between the, the Premier League and, and the Championship. So um, you know, if, if English football wants to address its problems, yeah. it's parachute payments aren't the problems it's it, it's the gaps that are the problems you address those and and you get rid of parachute payments automatically and and we stop the well if if I do go and sign this player and pay him 40 or 50 grand a week in in the in the championship um then it'll get me promoted and I'll become rich because you're already at, 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 a, at a at a much better financial position so that's what we need to address but yeah, that would mean that the the bigger clubs in the Premier League they'd have to give up some of their revenues, and and there's there's no willingness from from them to do so. Yeah, and that is why the Scottish Championship isn't a basket case, and the English Championship is a basket case. Uh, thank you for listening, everybody. Uh, if you'd like to make a small contribution to our always free for air podcast, and that would be very kind of you, and you can do so by going to patreon.com forward slash price of football. And of course, if you have any questions for our next questions pod, which will be next Monday. Uh, then it's questions at priceoffootball.com is what you need to email. And uh, before Kieran embarks on the weekend of domestic bliss, I shall hand you over to him for his customary farewell. Thank you, folks, for the feedback. Thanks for, uh, fo- I think it's, I think Apple insists they can now call it following rather than subscribing because subscribing implies paying money. And, of course, oh. uh, the show is free to listen to and will always be the case whilst Kevin and I are here. Uh, other than that, uh, hopefully come on England by the time you're listening to this on Monday. <laughs> or well, cheer up, everybody. There's always the World Cup. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Bye, everybody. Bye. Buy a son for football.